0: Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and we're continuing our series of chatting with professional golfers because that's the best uh, best way to get all the possible information we could need. So before I bring in our guest today, let me bring in my partner in crime. It's Kyle Porter. Hey, Kyle.
1: How you doing, Rick?
0: I'm hanging. How are you?
1: I'm, I'm good. I, I'm enjoying this, this, uh, this run of Pac-12 golfers that we've had.
0: Yes,
2: this is it's this great. is good.
0: This is. Uh, so let's let's do it. Let's bring him in. So today. Yeah, Kyle, you mentioned it out of Stanford. Uh, Brandon Wu. Hey, Brandon.
2: Hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on. How are you? Uh, are you are you playing a lot of golf? What is your quarantine? What is your what is your situation look like right now?
2: You know, so I, I actually haven't been playing that much golf. Um, the courses have fortunately be, or a few of them have been open here in Dallas. Uh, Trinity Forest has been open, which is where I play and practice at. But uh, yeah, I haven't been playing too much. Kind of just been hanging out. And uh, this week, I'm starting to get back a little bit more into it, starting to practice again and uh, kind of get ready for the season to resume.
1: Where are you, uh, where are you at in Dallas? I live in Dallas. I, I mean, I don't need your address, but just generally, <laughs> like, where, do you, where are you living right now?
2: Yeah, I I live in Uptown. So okay, it's, you know it's it's a great area. I really enjoy it. I moved here probably right after the AT and T in February. Um, so yeah, I've kind of been here ever since. And, uh, That's awesome. I
1: live uh, I live up in Richardson, so like probably ten okay. miles north yeah, yeah. of where you're at right now. Used to live down in uh, in kind of the Highland Park area. So right, right, gotcha. Yeah, Perfect. it's a, it's a cool area. Yeah. So
0: so Brandon you were kind of uh just just gearing up uh on the PGA Tour this year. You know you played you played Farmers you played AT&T Pebble Beach. Walk me through kind you found out uh that that there was to be a little hiatus here that the tour was was playing. Your first reaction to that and how have you been kind of just mentally staying sharp or at least staying positive throughout this?
2: Yeah, I think it was it definitely escalated really quickly, I felt like, because um, we weren't really, you know, talking about it or thinking about it at all. Um, and then suddenly, you know, I think one night I saw the NBA stops and the next day, you know, it's like all the other major sports have stopped. And I was like, whoa, like this could really affect me, uh, which is a little unexpected, I guess. But um, yeah, I've been doing well, you know, it's been nice to have some time off, um, just hang out and kind of, you know, I'm in a very fortunate situation, I guess. Um, unfortunately. Haven't been able to play golf and whatever, but you know that's kind of the least of my worries at this point. And uh, yeah, so for me, I've kind of just stayed positive this entire time. Um, you know, kind of just look look at this as like a, a unique opportunity. I think one of my agent was saying he's like, you might not ever get a, this big of a break <laughs> again, so uh, enjoy it while you have it. And uh, that's kind of how I've been looking at it. So.
1: Has there been anything, whether it's physical or mental, during the the downtime,
2: the opportunity?
1: Uh, Cause I agree with you. This is, it's such a rare thing, uh, but has there been anything that you're like, man, I really want to work on that during the break or has it been more just rest and get ready for what comes after?
2: I guess it's more just been rest and what comes after. I think, um, I think one big thing everyone's kind of been talking about is like, everyone's itching to play. So, you know, they could be playing quite a few weeks in a row right when yeah. we start up again. So I think mentally preparing for that and physically preparing for that is important, but, uh, also, yeah, I think it's just nice to take a break, kind of away from golf. That's kind of one reason I chose to not kind of be practicing and playing through this entire time. It's just you know, kind of enjoy the other aspects of my life and uh, you know put the clubs away for a little bit.
0: We we've been talking to uh, as many golfers as we as we can over this hiatus, and it's interesting to kind of hear what you just alluded to, Brandon, which is how many weeks in a row you might want to play. Uh, some guys, when they get to like four or five, they, they got to shut it down. Some guys would like to play a lot less than that. What's like your ideal schedule? And I know it's kind of around, there's a million other factors that go into this, but what's your like right, ideal right. schedule of how much you'd, you'd want to play?
2: I guess that's something that I'm still trying to pick up on and learn. I think, um, I feel like the most I've played in a row right now is three weeks, which I think for a lot of professional golfers is not even that much. Uh, sure. We'll see. I think um, there was a stretch last summer where I played, I played a corn fairy event in Stonebrae and then went down to Peru for the Pan American games and then straight to the U.S. Amateur after that. So that was kind of a, I was definitely a little bit more travel than I anticipated uh, moving forward, but uh, that was kind of a three-week stretch, and I was definitely pretty tired after that. But uh, so yeah, we'll see moving forward. I think just something to learn and get used to.
1: I'm looking at your your uh, uh, amateur achievements, your career amateur achievements, and there's so many different things here. You've stroke play medalist at the 19 USAM, uh, semifinalist at the Western AM, which is a huge deal, I know. Uh, Walker Cup, Porter Cup, all these different things. What's the one that you look back on and you're like, man, that's the one that I'm maybe most proud of or the one that that kind of meant the most to me at the time?
2: I would definitely say that winning at the Porter Cup uh, was definitely super special because that was kind of, I mean, I'd won a bunch in junior golf, but hadn't really won since then. I hadn't won in college at that point. Um, And that, you know, being such a prestigious amateur event was super special. And that event is unique, too, because... Um, it's held in the same course in the same town every year. And they kind of developed the following, I feel like. You know, the whole town kind of comes together. There's everyone stays in host housing. And, you know, it's, it's a big deal for the locals. So that was super special being a part of that, especially being from New York as well.
0: Now you are, we're basically a, a year removed from you graduating from Stanford and, and making this transition to, to the big tour. And you mentioned like you're, you're learning things, right? You're learning what, what amount of golf to play. What other things are you learning throughout this? And are you learning it from your peers? Are you just learning it from, you know, trial and error? Like what, what has this process been like for you?
2: Yeah, definitely a learning process, like you mentioned. Um, I think, I mean, I'm fortunate to have peers like Colin Morikawa and Matt Wolf. You know, they're some of my good buddies, and they've had a lot of success quite quickly out there. And uh, you know, they can they can really help with that. I remember I played with Matt and Colin one of the rounds, uh, one of the practice rounds for Torrey Pines and Colin. I think I'd just been asking him, you know, like, what's it like? Like, what are your biggest adjustments? And he was like, I think for me, it was just getting really comfortable out here. He was like, you know, in college, you, you know, all the people you're playing with, you've seen them around, you know, everyone, even down the rules officials. And he was like, for me, it was just trying to get comfortable out here and kind of develop that same camaraderie among the other players. And then he's like, yeah, I just, I knew I had the game and then everything just took care of itself.
1: He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've never missed a cut, so I don't know what to do.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, I want to know a little bit about growing up. You, you grew up in the Northeast uh, for, for, I believe, some of your at least childhood. Uh, ha- had some family uh, that, that I presume played sports as well. Just what was, your, what was your family life like? Was there a lot of competition? Were you guys moving around a lot? What, what was your upbringing kind of like as you got into golf?
2: Right. right. Uh, yeah, I, I actually did move around a lot as a kid. So I was actually born in the Bay Area, a um, town called Danville, just about an hour away from Stanford. So I lived there for, I think, eight years. And then my family actually moved to Beijing from there. So I spent about five years in Beijing, um, but we would always come back to California for the summers. Um, that was kind of the best route for golf. You know, there's lots of good junior golf in Northern California. So we'd kind of come back and spend the summers out here. Um, But yeah, I lived in Beijing for five years and then I actually started going to boarding school in the Northeast. Um, I started at a middle school called Eagle Brook. Um, So I was there seventh through ninth grade and then went to Deerfield Academy, 10 through 12. Um, And I think my, it must have been my ninth grade year where my family um, moved from Beijing over to the Northeast and we settled down in Scarsdale, New York, and we've kind of been there ever since.
0: Now when when did you when did you pick up golf in all of this, Brandon? because we've been kind of asking the same yeah. question. Some guys are super I mean, super late to the scene would be like you know twelve, right, thirteen, right. which is what we've heard. Some other guys yeah. are like as soon as they could walk, they could pick up a club. Where are you at?
2: Mm-hmm. I, th- I guess kind of in the middle. I think I started when I was about six or seven. So when we were in Danville, we kind of lived on a golf course more or less. So it was just super easy. My dad was kind of learning golf at the same time, I guess. It was, I'm not really sure why he was into golf, but for some reason, you know, he was, he was really into it. He'd kind of take me to the driving range of the course and, you know, we'd both be trying to pick it up at the same time. So that was a cool bonding experience for us.
1: What did your parents do for a living?
2: So my dad did his own business for a long time, um, but he recently started working um, in investment banking in, back home. Um, so, yeah, so I think having his own business helped us kind of move around wherever. Because I think he had um, offices both in California and in China. So, you know, he could kind of just work from home and travel. And, uh, yeah, he, he could just move around as a family and it did not impact him too much.
1: Do you think any of that, the, the kind of moving around and, and, and the entrepreneurial nature of your family, do, was there any of that that helped when you, because I think when you get to high school and the level that you're kind of at, and especially in college there's a lot of self-starting there's a lot of practicing on your own there's a lot of doing your own thing how much did your upbringing affect kind of the way you participated in that later on
2: yeah for sure I think uh, moving around definitely just you got to really adapt to your conditions quickly and honestly I felt like it it was definitely hard for me as a kid especially when we moved to Beijing that was so such a different experience going from I think Danville's a town of maybe like 40,000 people and, uh, to Beijing, which is <laughs> super hectic. A, we live right in the a city. Little bit,
0: a little bit more than 40,000, I think.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just a little though. So that was definitely, you know, for me being eight years old, kind of just, you know, let, leaving all my friends and everything that I really knew to move to this, one of the biggest cities in the world. And uh, so that was pretty crazy. But um, it's definitely an experience I look back on and, and fortunate to have had. Uh, I think it definitely helped.
0: I'll actually take that a little bit further, Brandon. I mean, the way that I look at professional golfers being independent contractors, kind of being their own business, do you think that your family, your father's entrepreneurial background, like, do you talk to him about some of this? I feel like that's a a very natural uh, fit for you being like a professional golfer as kind of your own business.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that's what our, our coach Conrad Ray would always tell us You'd be like, yeah, like when you're thinking about turning pro it's, it's your own business, you know, you got the keys and everything. And, uh, yeah, I definitely think my, my dad has helped me out a lot. I mean, we haven't like sat down and like laid everything out, but you know, I think there's, he gives me small tips here and there that I know comes from his own experience and have definitely helped me as I've come along.
1: When you think about last summer playing us open, open championship, um, what, what were those experiences like? And, and is there one that you, I mean, obviously you made the cut and played pretty well at the U S open. Do you look back on that one more fondly or, or just what, what was your big takeaway from playing in those two, two events last summer?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, both were pretty unique and both were obviously very special, but, um, definitely I think the U S open, I guess, even though it came, although it came first, it was, uh, it was pretty special because I was a, I was a first alternate actually for the 2017 U.S. Open at Aaron Hills. So I mm. lost in the playoff to Cameron Champ. And that was, <laughs> I guess, the week before you kind of, you know, everyone's like, whoa, this guy hits it really far. <laughs> it's really good. Um, so I was super close. But that USGA actually made a uh, change the rule that year where first alternates could go play practice rounds. And that was during my exam week. I'd finished all my exams. So I was like, I'd love to go out there. So I, you know, got to go out there and the course twice. Maverick McNeely, my teammate, was playing there as well. So I played, you know, nine holes with him. Played nine with Sergio, I believe. Um, yeah, that was kind of my like first little immersion into you know these guys that I grew up watching and mm. um, you know some of the best players in the world. So you know, being so close that time definitely made the U.S. Open like really special for me, and I really wanted to make it back. So then finally qualifying uh, this past year, especially at Pebble Beach, you know, right, right next to Stanford, pretty much, and. The, that's a special place too. So super exciting there. R-
1: Real quick. How does, so you played with Sergio at Aaron Hills. How, is it, is that just like you're on the 10th tee box at the, well, I guess, I think 10 was all the way out, but you're on the first <laughs> tee box at the same time or is it, did you set that up? How do, how does that like take place?
2: Yeah, I know. I guess part of the, an interesting part of the story. So I'd actually played one hole with Sergio before. So when I was living in Beijing the HSBC would run kind of a junior circuit, I guess. And one year I won that tournament. So the prize, I guess, was you had to play one hole with five different pros at the um, <laughs> HSBC cool. Open. So I think I must have been like 10 or 11. I'd played one hole with Sergio. And uh, I clearly remember I had maybe like a 15-footer. And his caddy gives me a read and he you know marks a spot on the right next to the hole with the pin. I was thinking to myself, I was like, that's too low. Like, I got to play higher. But, you know, I was like, this this guy's a professional caddy. I got to trust him. I hit it. And sure enough, it misses low. And I'd never forgotten that. But um, to, to your point, Kyle, was I um, I think I, I showed up on the first tee. Um, I could only kind of get the afternoon times because, you know, they wanted all the other players to kind of have the morning times. And, you know, for us, it was just like kind of filtering where you could. And I'm standing on the first tee, and I guess Sergio's walk – Walks off 18, and he's making the turn because he'd start on the back, and uh, yeah, we're suddenly standing on the same tee box, and like, whoa, like that's when I was like, okay, I guess I've played nine with Sergio, and I told him the story. I told him the story, on the on the first tee, so we had a good laugh about that. That's
0: that's, that's Sergio's awesome. caddy making sure that you don't beat his guy, right? Make <laughs> exactly, sure you miss this one low. Exactly, don't yeah. don't make us look too bad. <laughs> Um, well let's, let's continue with the, the playing partner, uh, theme here because I can't imagine many golfers have played around with a former, uh, secretary of state. So you teamed up right with Condoleezza Rice Mm at the, at the AT&T, at the pro-am, uh, I'm assuming it's the Stanford connection, but how, how does this come to be?
2: Yeah. So I, um, yeah. Condoleezza Rice is kind of very involved in Stanford golf, which is super nice of her. Um, she gets to spend time with the teams. And uh, so I, I didn't really get to know her that well at Stanford. Um, just we never really overlapped. I guess some of the kids take her class and, you know, um, through that or get to play with her. But uh, I felt like this could have been a really cool opportunity to kind of pair up with her and, and play a pebble. And uh, yeah, I was super stoked that it all worked out well. And uh, yeah, she's super competitive when it comes to golf, which was uh really exciting. But I guess I remember. I think I was. She invited me over to her house the night before the first round, and she was kind of throwing a little cocktail party um, before the tournament started. And you know, some of her friends are coming up to me and telling her, uh, telling me about you know, like oh, she's never made the cut. Like you know, she's like feeling <laughs> really nervous. She's been, suddenly I was like, whoa! Like what did I sign up for? Like, I'm a little bit nervous about like trying to get her that first cut or whatever. But uh, it was was so fun being out there with her. I mean, she's such a blast to talk to and and walk with on the course. And it was awesome to see kind of the the support from the crowd as well. You know, everyone loves her and, like, yelling at her and asking for pictures. So that was really fun.
1: That's awesome. Uh, I do want to go back. I I know we're just kind of bouncing all over the place here. Mm But uh, 2019 NCAAs, you guys beat Texas in the finals. Uh, gotta, I gotta shout out my uh, my Oklahoma State squad. They got beat by Texas uh-huh. in the semis. Uh-huh. And that stroke play event, uh, they were unreal. Matthew Wolf won by like five. They had three other guys that were in the, like the top 15 or so. Just what was, what was that run like? Cause I, I, you know, you watch some of this stuff on TV and it looks incredibly exciting. Um, th- There's just a lot of drama. There's a lot going on. What's it like to be in the middle of an NCAA, especially that you go on to eventually beat Texas and, and win it?
2: Yeah, I guess, I mean, this year was super special. I think if you look through our past results at Stanford, we've been really good um, kind of in the regular season. We get to NCAAs and we've really fallen short. I know my freshman year, we were the number one ranked team in the country and ended up finishing 28th out of 30 teams, which was... Definitely a disappointment. But, um, yeah, so I think we were we were kind of in almost, like, uncharted territory even come the, the last day of stroke play. I'd never made it to the last day of stroke play. And not that we weren't confident in ourselves and, you know, that we could make it to match play and that we could win the whole thing. But it was definitely like, okay, like, we're kind of in um, new territory here. But uh, I do remember that last day. It was definitely playing hard last day of stroke play. It was playing yeah. hard. It was windy, um, and we were just sliding down the leaderboard. I think we started the day <laughs> second, and we're just like slowly sliding. And you know, it, it's definitely on everyone's minds. Like <laughs> we're so close, and uh, yeah, I think we ended up being seventh, which was just good enough.
0: So when you, when you're in that situation and you're trying to break through, and you you described it as kind of unchartered territory, Brandon, is there one guy? that you look to because you didn't have anybody on the team that had that had been there before right is is that when you rally around your coach you just rally around each other is there a mindset of like hey we're the underdog this is okay like how are you trying to break through
2: yeah i mean definitely our coach conrad's been there before um so he can he's definitely a figure we look up to and then i guess me and isaiah slender we were the two senior captains on the team i think we tried to be Uh, kind of that rallying point and uh, I know I think I've been playing pretty decent through the first three rounds and I know Isaiah had been playing really well through the first three rounds so you know kind of just continue our hot play and try to lead by example
1: yeah and then you guys you get into the match play portion you beat Vandy uh, excuse me you beat uh, Wake Forest three to two you beat Vandy three to two and then you beat Texas three to two I mean that's got to be insane to where it's like every it, 'Cause I think so much of that it's so condensed at the end. It's so compressed into the last like 30 minutes or hour in terms of the drama. What is it what's that feeling like for that last hour of, of all three of those matches?
2: Yeah, I guess I the the Vandy match was definitely the most memorable for me. But um I guess before I started on that, it's it's actually because you're kind of focused in on your own match and there's not that many scoreboards out there, you don't yeah. actually really know what's kind of going on. I guess. I watched it on TV afterwards. You can kind of like feel the, <laughs> the pressure and all that because you can see like, oh my God, that guy's struggling or this guy's doing well. But uh, yeah. so when you're out there, you're like, you kind of don't know. And if you don't have a coach floating around with you too, there's not really someone you can talk to about it. But um, the Vandy match, I I think I what well, came down to our freshman Dallet um, against I think uh, Harrison Harrison Odd, I think from Vandy. But, um, and he'd been cruising. He'd been doing really well. And, you know, when I picked it up, I think he was, he was three up with four to play or, you know, so he's close to finishing out, but, uh, you know, suddenly it's, he's two up with two to play and we get to the 17th pole, which is par three and uh, Harrison hits it way left in the hazard. And we're thinking, okay, like, come on, Mike, I know you're <laughs> a freshman, but the one thing you can't do is hit it in the left hazard. And, you know, there's miles of room, right? And of course, he just hooks it way left, right next to and in the hazard and um, they both hit miraculous shots um, out of there. And I think Harrison's on the green about 20 feet that just off the green about 25 feet and he's standing there taking practice strokes and the whole team's watching at this point and he hits his ball with his practice stroke.
0: Oh no. And we're
2: like, Oh my God. Like we cannot believe what is happening. Like this guy was five up like half an hour ago. And he's, like, <laughs> taking penalty strokes from just off the green. So he ends up losing that hole, and then we get to 18. Um, he hits a great drive somehow. It's a tough tee shot, too, so props to him. And then hits like a, I think, four or five iron on the green, about 30, 40 feet, and just buries it in front of everyone. And Love it. That was one of the most riveting moments ever, so <laughs> very cool. I
1: think, I think hitting your ball with a practice stroke is called the Zach Johnson around here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right, right. After what he did at Augusta.
0: Uh, oh man Uh, so i mean the 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 resume already as a young as a young guy brandon is is really impressive and what i notice is you seem to be in so many like high leverage high pressure situations you've played in championships you've won championships um like talk to me about how you deal with that pressure are you able to to put it to the side are you still feeling nervous when you step on the first tee at some of these places like how do you handle
2: your pressure yeah, I definitely I definitely still get nervous sometimes for sure. <laughs> that's that's good to <laughs> I hear. I, I would hate it. Yeah, I'd be so mad yeah. if you
0: were like, oh no, it's no big deal. <laughs> no, no, yeah.
2: But uh, yeah, I don't know if that'll ever go away. But um yeah, I think you can definitely I think for me the the biggest part kind of my career as well as these like pressure situations is I feel like I've kind of had like a slow build up into these situations. Um, you know, like I'll touch back mm-hmm. on the Aaron Hills moment. It's like that was like a very low stakes moment. You know, I, I knew I wasn't going to be able to play in the actual tournament, but you know, you can kind of just soak it all in and enjoy the course and kind of learn from everyone else. And, you know, I feel like just like small moments like that. And I've like slowly built up, makes makes like a, almost like a stronger foundation for me when I get to these bigger moments. And, uh, so yeah, I guess I have that kind of to look back on, but, um, interesting like every moment's kind of unique i guess you got to just try and focus on what you're doing and not think too much about it and then uh because when you step back and look at you're like whoa like this Uh, is is pretty crazy yeah (laughs) it's like i don't know if i want to hit this one
1: (laughs) well yeah i want to i want to jump in on that because i'm curious if if there was a moment ever at pebble or at the at port rush last year where you look around whether it's who you're playing with maybe somebody's in front of you or behind you and you're like how did i get to like, how did this happen? Like, how am I in this position right now? Was there ever that kind of like light bulb moment for you? Or or had you kind of gotten over it by that point?
2: I think, um, I guess a little bit I'd gotten over. I mean, definitely the moments are still cool, you know, but I just yeah, yeah, I think uh, it's like been like, I, those first moments definitely occurred at Aaron Hills. I'm like on the green and you know, Jordan Speech like fifteen feet away putting. Yeah. <laughs> which is cool. And then uh, but now yeah, I just look at them as kinda like competitors and peers, which is good. But um I mean I think one one fun moment from Port Rush was I'd been it was Wednesday before the tournament and the weather was horrendous. It'd been really nice Monday, Tuesday, but Wednesday it was like blowing thirty and raining sideways. You know, the crowd obviously is out there loving it. Like they're lining the fairways, and, <laughs> you know, which is uh, very, very fun to see. But, um, and yeah, I think most guys hadn't even played that day just because the weather's so bad, but I had never really experienced weather like that before. So I was like, this would at least be good experience, you know, especially if it comes down like this during the tournament. Um, and I'd cut, I think I'd play the first seven holes and I would cut over to 16, to finish 16, 17, 18 to go back to the clubhouse. I'm kind of, I'm standing on the tee. I just get there. 16 at monster part three. Um, and you know, the, there's like three, four deep in the crowd uh, all the way up to the green and up comes Tommy Fleetwood and Justin Rose strolling to the tee. <laughs> And Like, okay, like I guess going to play the last three, in these brutal conditions with Tommy and Justin. And uh, that was super fun, but that was like a whoa moment. <laughs> yeah.
0: I-, I feel like You know, you mentioned seeing these guys and then they become your peers and whatnot. I feel like the turnover on the PGA Tour, especially with you young guys who are coming up so prepared, especially coming out of the Pac-12 seems to pump out a ton of guys. Like, there's probably a a significant percentage of these guys that you know from other points in 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 your career, and that will only get bigger as more and more of you kind of graduate and get onto the PGA Tour.
2: Yeah, for sure. It's It's been super cool just to kind of see, I mean, my like circle kind of get bigger, but also like people that I've known for so, so many different years. And then um, they're, you know, on tour and now you see them on TV. And uh, yeah, like earlier this summer watching Colin and Matt Wolf from the last group at the 3M Open, it's like pretty cool because i would just been playing with them a couple, what, like a month or so ago at the national championship. So that's that's been cool to see for
0: sure. There's gonna be some kid in like 15 years who's like, holy crap, Brandon Wu's walking to the first tee, and now I've gotta, I guess I gotta play nine with him. I guess I gotta play.
1: Nine. You know, exactly. we we uh, yeah, yeah. we asked, we asked Colin about this a couple weeks ago because I I, I I love I love talking to other players who because like, because Rick and I can say like whatever we want about. Oh, so and so's swing is amazing. and, 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 and we like, do. We say that. And, when we say, whatever yeah, we yeah. <laughs> but like, we don't. We don't. We're not. It doesn't carry the same authority as when a mm-hmm. as when a player says it. Because you talk to a player and you're like, like uh, somebody said that. I think it was Justin Thomas said this about our guy Sungjae Rick, Ooh. where he was talking about. He's like, look, Sungjae is legit. Like he is really good. And for whatever, well, not for whatever reason, because you're a peer, because you're also, really good that carries more weight than when Rick says it or when I say it. So, I'm curious about as you've been out there whether you've gotten around anybody that you're like, wow, this guy is like, this guy's unbelievable, like better than I thought, or um, just like a, a, an incredible ball striker that I didn't totally realize from watching on TV.
2: Yeah, I guess I'm not sure about the didn't totally realize part, <laughs> but I hit balls at Torrey Pines next to Rory and that was like i'm like sitting there I'm like what am i doing here like, <laughs> I don't know. It was like, yeah. but uh yeah i definitely think there's and I've, I've gotten to learn like you know obviously i'm confident in my own game and i yeah. think someone i think maybe sean foley told me once he's like there's gonna be someone that does something better than you like everything you know like yeah someone's gonna drive it better someone's gonna chip it better someone's gonna hit their irons better so it's like if you get too caught up in that then you know, it's it's really easy to get dark on yourself, but uh, you know, at yeah. the end of the end of the day, the goal is just to get the ball in the hole, and you can kind of do it however you see fit. But uh, it's it's pretty amazing watching Rory hit balls on the range.
0: That's awesome. Um, we're Kyle and I. Also, Brandon are are pretty big stat guys. You know, we pour over mm-hmm. the stroke gain numbers probably more than we should. You know, we <laughs> keep track of we keep track of all that stuff. How how aware of are are you of your own stats?
2: I guess it's been um, we used to keep a pretty um, detailed set of stats at Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, my first two years. Mostly spearheaded by Maverick McNeely. He's a he did management science and engineering at uh, at Stanford. He's really into big data and uh, nice. so, you know, we're filling out his Excel spreadsheets both for him and for us. Like this is
0: music to my ears right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is incredible. Yeah, yeah.
2: No, yeah, he, he loved that stuff. So yeah. Um but yeah, I guess it's also nice also playing on the PGA tour where they do their your stats automatically. So you kind of just scroll through at the end of the day. And it's yeah. like, oh, okay, I did this. And um I guess I do follow my stats pretty closely because I think it's—I mean—it's it's a good baseline to compare yourself and see how you're doing. But um, I also feel there's kind of the intangible part because you know I feel like let's say you got you play around, you have you know like ten six footers or ten eight footers, and it's like I think from eight feet you're supposed to be about fifty-fifty. But you know you 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 know you've left a few out there if you and you can kind of just feel that. And I don't know if the stats really show that. So
0: well, that's you where know, try to. sorry you you know that like if you hit it where you wanted it to, right? Like, was it a misread or was it a, a
2: miss right, hit? Right. We'll
0: never know that. We just know you made it or you missed it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Exactly. And I actually think one um, one really interesting comment that I um, I was playing with uh, Nick Price, actually, I think sometime in the fall. But um, we were kind of just talking and I guess, I think it was a wedge number and I just hit it, you know, or like he's talking about like, you know, sometimes you aim like a stick right, even though it's a wedge and you hit it right there. You know, often I was like, oh, like, I should just aim at the pin. Like, why not I just (laughs) aim at the pin? Like, that would have been so much easier. Um, But he's like, you know, like, actually, like, you know where you're trying to hit it and you hit it exactly there. That's a perfect shot for you. So it might not necessarily be like an inch from the hole, but, you know, you hit it exactly where you're trying to do and you put yourself in a perfect position. So I thought that was an interesting way to think about it.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. I think that speaks to why stats are a lot, but they're not. They can't be everything because you have to marry it with with other stuff as well. I love the uh, I left a few out there, by the way. That's like my favorite thing in golf is when Patrick Reed shoots a sixty four and he's like, "I left like five or six out there." I'm like, <laughs> "Wow, what? that's uh, that's aggressive." <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, tell me, tell me real quick, and I know we're gonna get to a break here in a second, but um, just what being a student at Stanford is like to me is an as a as an outsider, I, I I did I did go to Oklahoma State, which I bring up on like every podcast. I don't really know why, but <laughs> uh Stanford's compelling. It, it's it's gr- obviously great school, great athletics, great academics, beautiful location. Was was it everything that it appears to be from the outside as a student athlete there?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I enjoyed my time so much. I mean, I thought it was. It's probably, in my mind, the best combination of both. You know, you've got high-level golf, but also just world-class academics as well, from everything from the professors to your peers and your other students. Um, For me, it was was so cool being able to go to school there and kind of just experience all that in one.
0: I love it. Well, Brandon, we've been debating this week, a couple of golf terms or or things that are said that maybe they should be said differently. So we want to get you to weigh in on them, but first we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors off All you have to do is go to Viori.com slash first. That's vuor com slash first. Again, not only will you receive 20% off your first order, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. And here's my favorite part, free returns. Yeah, go check it out. Viori.com slash first and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. And we're back. All right, Brandon. So we went over this with the full First Cut crew. Mark Immelman, Greg Ducharme earlier in the week uh, about some of these. So I've got, I've got a couple of, you know, kind of rapid fire type questions for you. So we'll start with this one. Uh, not necessarily verbiage, but if we made you commissioner of the PGA Tour, or actually even more than that, you are king of golf now. You are in <laughs> charge. And you can change one rule, add one rule, remove one rule, anything you want about the game of golf. What would that be?
2: Wow. Interesting question. I haven't, <laughs> haven't really thought about this one before. Um,
0: so I'll give you an example. So uh, we had, we had Cheyenne Woods on, she said that she, you could have one mulligan at any point during a tournament.
1: That was, that was awesome. I love that one. Which imagine coming, okay, you know, okay. coming down
0: Sunday, you know, Sunday afternoon, if you still got your mulligan in your pocket, you're probably feeling <laughs> pretty good. Uh, Kyle wants to have the Ryder cup every year.
1: Uh, what was mine? I forget. Yeah, what mine maybe was. twice a year. I don't know. I mean, am I, every year might not be enough.
0: <laughs> I, I forget what mine was, but that's the type of stuff that has generally come out of this. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, kind of on the Ryder Cup lines. I'd love to see more team golf, um, yes. in, in one way or another, because yes. I think, I guess, I mean, college golf is an easy avenue for that. I feel like, but uh, maybe something beyond that. But I've I've gotten to play on a couple teams, both in college and like the Walker Cup team. Um, And it's just—it's so exciting, and I think that's definitely something I missed as a kid. I felt like, you know, playing golf as an individual sport. You know, all my friends are running around the soccer field or playing football. And uh, I mean, I think it would be awesome just to have more team golf in the in the sport.
0: Yeah, I think there's that's an opportunity. A, that's a for, good one. Yeah, more formats. I want to see more match play. Yeah. Let's let these guys do it. Play a two-man scramble. Like, let's go see how low they can yeah. go. I don't care. Let me see cool stuff. You know?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, All right, and here's here's one for you, Uh, and this got pretty heated the other day. Uh, Can golf be a verb? Can you say, I'm going golfing, or do you have to say, I'm going to play golf? Hmm.
2: That's (laughs) an interesting one, because I want to make golf sound more like a sport, I guess. I'm trying to think the other (laughs) sports, like, I'm going to go play football or play hockey. So I guess I would say, like, you have to go play golf. You can't just go golfing.
0: Because you can't go footballing, right?
2: Yeah, you can't go footballing now. <laughs>
1: you can you can go hooping, though. Hooping.
2: Hooping,
1: Yeah. I, point, I'm, yeah. I'm probably too old and white to be talking. About we're
0: we, we're trying to make a push. I I realize that I use them fairly interchangeably. So I would yeah, have to make it. would have to make a pretty uh, a pretty big commitment to say I'm going to play golf. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. As
0: opposed to I was I was golfing earlier. So we'll we'll see how yeah, that goes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this one's pretty straightforward, but I want to hear from the word uh, from the mouth of a, of a pro here, Albatross or double Eagle. You
2: know, I, it's actually interesting. I've been kind of reading it must, I guess just articles online. Now I'm thinking it must've been your guys' article, <laughs> oh <boy. laughs> but I think, well, I think it was saying like double Eagle is unacceptable. So I'd probably go with Albatross anyway. Kyle is double Eagle
0: unacceptable.
1: Yeah, it's nonsense. It doesn't even, it doesn't even I mean, get, let the Stanford guy tell you what math is. I mean, it, it doesn't even, it doesn't add up. Like, it's, it's dumb.
2: It,
0: it doesn't add up um, because a double eagle should at least be four under par, right? If it's going to be, if an eagle's going to be two under. All right. Uh, speaking of which, here's the trivia that I just learned the other day, Brandon. Uh, do you know what a hole in one on a par five would be? So four under.
2: It's not a double eagle. A bigger bigger bird of some sort, man, I'm assuming.
0: Yes, it is uh,
2: condor. Yes, is a- yes, it
0: is a condor. Oh,
2: okay. <laughs> Look at this. I was a, this guy, the biggest bird I could think of.
0: <laughs> the guy from Stanford. He just critical thinking. He just
1: got it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's a, that's that's like straight out of the SAT playbook, where you, right. you don't really know what the answer is, and you just, you just reason your way. Have to take there. a guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I,
0: I can like eliminate one of these answers, and I can make an educated. Yeah. <laughs>
2: exactly
0: that's so good um okay brandon do you call them uh sand traps or do you call them bunkers
2: i go bunkers
0: always bunker
2: yeah is that i'm not is that the more technical term i think i I don't don't remember i think
1: think it's the (laughs) i think it's the more like uh european british like British term. I think that's what Mark okay. was saying the other day, Rick. So yeah, I, I think actually, it's more yeah. proper, I guess. Yeah. And and
0: Mark right. Immelman, you know, he does the broadcast. So he has like what you're supposed to say on the broadcast. You know, you're yeah, not supposed yeah. to call them whatever. <laughs> I I, yeah, I would right, forget right. that in an instant, but Mark Mark knows them all. Um yeah. this one, so you I mean you've played a lot of match play. Uh, you, you college guys get a lot of exposure to it. Is a match tied or is it all square?
2: I'm more comfortable saying all square. I yeah. thought it was in like the new rule change that they made it tied, I guess. But I mean, wow. I I still I think feel like everyone's still pretty comfortable with square.
1: Yeah, it's good.
0: Good take. I, that's what we say. I think they did change yeah. it to tied. Uh, tied. Yeah. Someone higher up on the food chain making the decisions than us, but we prefer <laughs> we prefer all square. All
2: square. Right.
0: Uh, Kyle, remind me how you felt about this one because there's this is kind of a two parter. So we've got alternate shot versus foursomes. That's one side of it. And then better ball versus four ball. Kyle, where did we land on this?
1: Yeah. I, you and I were both uh, alternate shot because yes. that like makes, makes sense, more sense. And yeah, it like describes what's actually happening. And then four ball because right. better ball, I, it's like I could, I think you could verbiage oh. your way to where that was actually alternate shot. But, like, four ball, there's always four balls in play. Right. So alternate shot and four ball is where I landed. Okay. Brandon, what do you think?
2: Okay. I definitely agree <laughs> on the four ball part. The I guess the alternate shot part, I guess I'm more opinionated towards foursomes because – just because we've been calling it that, I guess, you know, for, like, the Walker Cup. And I got to play – I played over at Mirfield a few times uh, this – this summer which is just such a cool experience but yeah. they basically almost exclusively play foursomes which is mm. i guess now thinking back to the you know the whole king of golf scenario i think that's <laughs> actually really interesting because we would play rounds and you know like two and a half hours or so and it's it's four people you know two can walk ahead and you know golf's suddenly really fun it's kind of a team sport and uh you know it's it's a good time for everyone Oh, like
0: maybe, maybe we could have a, a foursomes major that maybe that's what we could have and have it have, a, have yeah, two yeah. winners or something like that. That'd be pretty I think cool. it's called yeah, I yeah. think
1: that's called dessert Classic. Actually. Oh, yeah, maybe
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just gave it major status. I think. <laughs> um, all right, Brandon, last one for you here. Uh, the British Open or the Open
2: Championship? Ooh, I, I would definitely say I've I've tried to say the open as much as I can but yes. it's just it's confusing even for me so I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> so I just go British open.
1: Okay.
0: Interesting. So we've been uh we're also a little biased on this well Kyle more than I am because he's got to post all the articles on cbsports.com and there there's like uh <laughs> what are they called like you got to, you got your guidelines Kyle.
1: Yeah, there, you got to do like all this SEO stuff for people yeah. searching British Open versus Open. There's like, <laughs> I was telling these guys the other day, Brandon. There was a there was a uh, we had a conference call where uh, Nick Faldo was being interviewed, and he was like, "We keep shortening it." He goes, "It used to be the Open Championship. Now it's just the Open. It's going to be the in you know like <laughs> three years. We're just going to call it yeah. the." Which I thought was yeah. was hilarious. But I I like Open. I like anything that's shorter uh is better for me because i have to write fewer things so i like that right
2: right the open yeah. all
0: right brandon are you more active on twitter or instagram 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 all right uh go and give brandon a follow on instagram and twitter too i believe it's b woo 97 on both right
2: yes sir that's I it i gotcha
0: We'll get you those followers. You can also uh, file follow. Wow, Kyle at Kyle Porter CBS. You can listen to the First Cut podcast on all your smart speakers. You can follow us on Twitter at First Cut Pod. Brandon, really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, thank you so much, and good luck when uh, when golf comes back.
2: Awesome, yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. Enjoyed being on the podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks, Brandon.
0: All right, this has been the First Cut. Uh, we'll see you next time.